Um, I want to thank all the attendees for joining us. This is the forecasting webinar for fats, fuels, and oils for August, the week of August 2nd. Um, on the call today, I have Tori Alden, who is our senior oil seed analyst, and he's going to be going over his portion of the forecast. Tori, I'm going to pass it over to you. Thanks, George. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody. Um, so I wanted to start this week with uh, uh, talking about uh, the last time I was on the, the webinar, I got a question about the potential for soybean oil to go over 30 cents, and I, I couldn't have gotten the answer more wrong, quite honestly. I think almost to the day after the, um, after the webinar, soybean oil rallied and has rallied sharply. And I just wanted to take a second to kind of review um, what I missed and, and why we are sort of at the level where we are right now. Uh, my answer was based in part on the fact that um, the U.S. market remains pretty well supplied. And what has really been sort of the tipping point recently has been a shortage in um, Chinese vegetable oil stocks, and in particular in their rapeseed oil stocks. They made some large purchases from Brazil um, of soybean oil, and um, they've increased their imports of, of palm oil, and that has helped provide some uh, fundamental support at the cash level, but their futures market has just ripped higher. And part of what my answer was also based on was the idea that while their futures market has been rallying, at least part of that rally, I think, is driven by a bit of speculative excess. I still think to some extent that that is true, but obviously there is a problem uh, with Chinese vegetable oil stocks that has um, changed the fundamental outlook a bit. And so you see that reflected in, in this week's forecast. Um, given where we are and, and what's going on, I think pr prices probably remain pretty well supported, at least through the end of the year. Um, I think we could have a little weakness after that and then maybe kind of sideways after that. But with that, let's kind of get into the data that we got this week um, and last week and talk about what's going on. Maybe the most surprising thing that we saw this past week was the report from the EIA for uh, May feedstock usage and U.S. domestic biodiesel production. You can see here that soybean oil usage was a record for uh, any month and substantially higher than it, uh, than it has been in prior May uh, in, in the month of May. Um, that's due to sort of the ongoing trends where the availability of corn oil and of some of the low CI feedstocks is not what it typically has been. But even given that, uh, the strength of the usage in May was, was surprising. Soybean oil accounted for something like 70% of, of all feedstocks used to produce biodiesel in the, in the U.S. And that's just a level that we haven't seen in, in a very, very long time since like 2011. We expect that um, soybean oil demand from biofuel producers and biodiesel producers in particular will remain relatively strong, probably not quite at the same level that we saw in May, but you can see we're forecasting June and July and August to remain over 700 million pounds 
and then uh, for September to drop just a little bit below that level, but still remain relatively strong until we really get ethanol production back up to the levels it was at before the pandemic, which may occur in the next month or two, um, but also get uh, animal slaughter up to levels that provide enough feedstocks for the usage of choice white grease and tallow to pick up. Um, soybean oil usage is, is probably gonna remain pretty well supported. And that helped with the um, daily domestic use of soybean oil. You can see uh, we get, just got the NAS data yesterday. You can see again, May was, was relatively strong. We got data, this is data for June and you see the big jump in June. Um, this series tends to be a, a little bit volatile. Um, so we tend to look at it sort of on a quarter by quarter basis. Um, but soybean oil certainly has benefited from uh, the strength of, of demand from biodiesel producers, but also non-biofuel demand. If we look at um, if we look at non-biofuel demand, has also been uh, relatively strong. Non-biofuels is in the orange here, and for June, you can see that that was just under 1.2 billion pounds, up from just over a billion pounds in May. Um, again, we think that that probably remains relatively well supported, although probably not quite at the levels that we saw in June. So that backdrop, uh, the domestic market sort of remaining, the demand from in the domestic market remaining pretty well supported, uh, contributes to our, um, our relatively bullish outlook. If you just look at um, days of usage, and what this is, is this is if you take soybean oil ending stocks at the end of the month, and then you divide that by the daily average use, both exports and domestic use for the next month, it gives you a sense of how tight stocks are. And you can see in June, that number fell from May and, and from the seasonal peak in April, we expect July to be kind of flat, but then um, that measure to tighten up over the balance of the marketing year. And so that should help support um, soybean oil prices, soybean oil futures, given the, as long as we don't have a breakdown in world vegetable oil prices. If all world vegetable oil prices fall sharply, then um, we may get uh, a little bit of a setback. Um, but right now, the, the fundamentals suggest that soybean oil should remain fairly well supported. Shifting to palm oil, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on, on palm oil today um, because the, the Malaysian Palm Oil Board is going to release their monthly report. Uh, it will come out Monday in Malaysia, which is actually Sunday night uh, in the U.S. This report is going to be uh, really, really important. We thought last month's report was really important. Um, this month's report is going to be even more important. Uh, because right now, uh, in, in the month of July, there was a debate about two things. One, the level of exports. There were exports surged in, in June, in part due to a change in the export taxes that the Malaysian government took down to zero, but also in part because of, of this strong demand from China. Um, and so one of the questions for July was, would exports continue to remain as strong? 
we've looked back over the years and generally in response to these kinds of changes in, in export tax regimes, um, we see exports remain pretty strong for two months. And then after that, they kind of fall down uh, back to or, or just below the level they were at before the change as companies take advantage of, of the change and stock up and then um, they have full inventories and so they don't need to, to buy quite as much. We've gotten cargo surveyor data for the month of July and that shows that exports in July were up about 6% relative to um, June's number, which was a huge number. And so it looks like the demand is, is still there. The other big question has been about production. And during the month, we saw some stories um, trying to attribute the rally in, in palm oil to concerns about production, uh, concerns about both the, um, both the uh, rainfall that occurred and, and um, flooding that prevented people from getting into the plantations and harvesting, but also concerns about labor shortages. And so we took our forecast for production down in the middle of the month to essentially, you can see here, to the five-year average for July, August, and September. We think realistically that is probably the lowest level that it can be. We'd, we'd be really, really surprised if it fell below that level for any of the next three months. And just in terms of, of whether the stories about the labor shortage are, are accurate or not, they may be accurate and there may be some labor shortages, but you can see in June, um, production on a, the average daily production was as high as it's been in a, in a couple of years. And so if there is a labor shortage um, in June, it certainly wasn't there. And this is really important because uh, right now with the way that our forecast is set up, we have ending stocks that are essentially going to end the year um, just about 2 million tons. And that 2 million ton level is is kind of an important psychological level. If you get stocks below 2 million tons, that's really bullish. If you get stocks above 2 million tons, it can still be bullish, but it's not as bullish as if you get them below uh, 2 million tons. Our forecast right now is down about 400,000 tons from where it was earlier in the month. And we think that any change in um, production will sort of drop straight to uh, the ending stocks number. So this report will kind of give us an indication about one, whether these stories about, um, about the labor shortages and the production shortfalls were actually true, or whether it was just the market's up a bunch today, I need to find some reason to explain it other than just sort of speculators piling into the market, um, or whether it was kind of driven by that kind of thing. We tend to think that there's there's probably like a lot of life. There's probably a, a little bit of both. Um, but in terms of the level of palm oil right now, we think that it's probably quite a bit extended. And we think this report could provide the catalyst for palm oil prices to back down a little bit. Of course, if China comes in and buys a bunch more palm oil, all of that will go out the window and, and prices can remain well supported. And um, in stocks may fall down below 2 million tons, even if, uh, even if production is at our expectation or, or higher. Um, but we think that uh, at least maybe in the short term, Chinese purchases are, are 
likely to slow a little bit relative to where they have been for the last couple of months, which is, you know, they bought basically a record amount of, of soybean oil out of Brazil and they, they bought a fair amount of, of palm oil out of, out of Malaysia. So to see them continue at, at that pace, um, wouldn't necessarily be the biggest surprise I'd ever seen in my life, but um, it would be a, a little bit surprising. Once we get this Malaysian palm oil report out of the way, uh, we think that it probably is going to um, weigh on, on palm oil prices, like we said. Uh, basically, you have a situation where um, palm oil stocks are, are tight now, but we expect them to build through the seasonal peak in production that occurs in September or October, um, and then kind of remain under pressure uh, going forward. That should um, not necessarily uh, bring down soybean oil prices, especially if, uh, if domestic demand for soybean oil remains strong, or you see large purchases of soybean oil in, uh, from China. Um, in addition, the other thing that we've seen that, that may help support soybean oil prices is that uh, Argentine farmers are, are holding on to their uh, recent harvest tighter than um, they have in at least in recent years. Argentine farmers typically use soybeans as a hedge against economic uncertainty and inflation, and that's exactly what they're doing now. So the supplies out of Argentina, which is the largest soybean exporter in the world, um, haven't been at the same level that you would typically expect sort of immediately after harvest. And so U.S. exports should remain relatively strong. Um, and if China needs to buy, their choices are a little bit limited. They can go to Argentina, certainly. Brazil is basically out of, out of soybeans to crush right now. I mean, they still have enough that they're going to crush soybeans this month, obviously, but their stocks are, are really tight and they've just raised their biodiesel mandate to 12%. So they need the soybean oil domestically. Um, so any Chinese purchases are likely to either come from the United States, which is probably the least likely option. Um, but to the extent that they buy from Argentina or even less likely Brazil, um, that opens up opportunities for uh, U.S. exports elsewhere. And with that, I kind of I'll, I'll turn it over to, uh, to questions, George. All right, thanks, Tori. Um, so if anybody has questions, please drop them in the Q&A section. Tori, the, the first question that we have is, what is the outlook for the August WASD report? Uh, we will we'll write about that, of course, um, next week, right before the report comes out uh, on Wednesday. Right here, you can see our balance sheet for 1920 relative to USDA's. The biggest difference between the two really is in biodiesel production, where we're at 7.8 billion pounds and USDA is at 7.4 billion pounds. Uh, given the data for May, I think it's, it's almost impossible that USDA does not raise their, uh, their forecast for soybean oil consumption in, in biodiesel production. Uh, in this report, the big question will kind of be how much do they raise it? Uh, they taken it down in 100 and 200 million pound increments. Um, given the strength of, of soybean oil usage in May, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they raised it up to 200 million pounds um, to 7.6 and 
it still probably won't quite be enough. I think they probably will have to make another increase in, in September if they don't raise it the full amount. Um, but given where we've seen uh, soybean oil usage in, in biodiesel and USDA's general approach to forecasting, they tend to be pretty cautious in, in the changes that they make. I think it's more likely that they do sort of a, a 200 million pound raise than a than go for the full 400 million pound. Um, for 2021, you can see that basically we are we're pretty close with USDA on on almost everything. Um, the one surprise I think you might see in there, or, or the one change you might see in there that we're not currently forecasting is an increase in in exports. Given the situation that I just talked about with Brazil having very little sort of exportable soybean oil and Argentine farmers remaining tight holders of, of soybeans, I think that U.S. soybean oil exports may remain really strong in, in 2021. I think there's a chance that we could see U.S. soybean oil exports ultimately as high in 2021 as we see in, in 1920. Um, which is about 400 million pounds above where USDA are and, and we are. I don't know that, again, I don't know that they'll, they'll take them up that high. And, and right now we currently don't see a need to, to take them up that high. Um, but given the fundamental situation that's developing, that certainly is, is an option. The other thing that there might be a, a small cut in in 1920 exports um, right now, if you look at the way that we kind of do our export forecast is we look at one, we look at commitments as a percent of our forecast for the week and where that's been in, in past years and then how much commitments go up from whatever week it is to the end of the marketing year. And then when we look at a rolling average of, of shipments and ex, extend that out through the end of the marketing year, and we kind of look at an average of, of those two. Um, if you take that average right now, it's about 2.75 billion pounds. So there's some chance that there, there's a small decrease in 1920 exports, um, but I'd be a little surprised, again, given what's going on right now, I'd be a little surprised if, if they took that down. But other than that, we don't really expect uh, any big changes. Okay. Thanks, Tori. Uh, another question I have here is, uh, can, can, can canola oil prices in Canada stay at the current level? So canola oil prices have, have made the increase in soybean oil futures look puny. Uh, by example, canola oil ripped high, about $100 a ton higher uh, a couple of weeks ago. It peaked at 950 um, last week it traded down below $900 a ton. Um, and then uh, when I was writing yesterday, it was back up above 900 at like 912. If you look at the impact of the coronavirus and the economy, the changes in the economy on, on canola oil, it's the one oil out of the major oils that hasn't really seen a decline in, in usage during this period. Part of the reason is that um, canola oil and corn oil are, are substituted as, as marginal feedstocks um, in biodiesel production. And so although it didn't necessarily occur a lot in May, canola oil is used to replace the corn oil that's lost because ethanol production 
uh, isn't occurring at the same rate that we saw before the virus. And so that's part of the strength. The other part of the strength just comes from um, increased buying of, of food and prepared food uh, to eat at home. And that offsets uh, a big portion of, of the lost sales to restaurants and, and food service uh, away from home. So you've got good, strong canola demand, canola oil demand in both the U.S. and Canada. And the, the sharp increase in prices, I think, was driven in part by, if you look at the weekly crush totals uh, from COPA, um, crushing volumes dropped down from about 190,000 tons a week to like 160, 65,000 tons a week for a couple of weeks there. And I think that's just how tight the market is right now for canola oil in Canada, that that change made uh, canola oil prices jump that sharply. Now, last week, crushing volumes jumped back up to 190, 195. And so uh, you had a little bit of pressure on price. We're getting close to or just starting um, canola harvest. And so soon we'll have big supplies again. But given the fact that uh, the Canadian crushing industry in the last year has crushed it at basically near capacity, um, it's going to be tough for the market to supply enough canola oil while we're still going through this, uh, this period where uh, one biodiesel demand is, is stronger than it has been or the, or the trend in biodiesel demand has, has reversed from using less canola to using more canola oil. Um, and two, we're all still eating a lot of our meals from home. So I think that you have pretty strong demand um, and you have uh, the time of the year when we typically crush as much canola as we're going to crush um, or crush it, it closest to the capacity that we do seasonally. Um, so you might see some short-term weakness, uh, but I think prices remain relatively well supported and probably hang around the $850 to $900 a ton level. Once the pandemic kind of passes and once ethanol production gets back to, to normal and we get back to closer to where we were before the pandemic, then you might see some weakness in canola oil. But again, given the backdrop of, of world vegetable oil prices right now, I think it's going to be difficult for any prices to, to fall too far. Okay. And the last question that we have is where is the spread between soybean oil and palm oil? What's your forecast um, for that? So the spread got down to close to parity uh, again in the last month. It's come up um, to about a cent or, or two cents, somewhere in that range. And we think that, again, we think this Malaysian Palm Oil Board report will be sort of the inflection point for this spread. We've been forecasting that the spread will widen out. Uh, for the last couple of months, and it's it started to, and it it got up above uh, three cents, I think, uh, a couple of months ago. But then it shot right back down to to parity. Um, but we think that going forward, you really have a situation where palm oil stocks will start to build, and soybean oil stocks will tighten. Um, again, as long as we don't see big purchases from uh, Chinese buyers in, in palm oil, we think that that probably is the time that the spread finally starts to widen back out uh, towards four or 
five cents. Um, and that will, that is the one thing that can maybe slow U.S. soybean oil exports a little bit. A lot of the strength in U.S. soybean oil exports in 1920 has come from people substituting palm oil for, or sub, sub, substituting soybean oil for palm oil. And that's really a function of the spread. As it gets down to parity, soybean oil is preferred. And so people buy soybean oil. As that spread widens out, they tend to use more palm oil. So we think that that spread will widen out probably over the next two or three months and get back closer to the, the long-term historical average, which is about five cents or so. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Tori. Uh, that's all the questions we have. Uh, thank you to the attendees for joining us. And if you have any questions, you can email us. Uh, uh, thank you again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Tori. Thanks, George. Thanks, everybody.